The voice of Husker Nation is on the air. This is Hale Varsity Radio. Insight, opinion, expertise, along with the biggest names talking Nebraska sports. Join in with the show at 402-489-1240 or 1-800-825-5865. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbel. Back into it at Tower 2, it's Hale Varsity. We're powered by Cornhead Lager, Hall of Fame coach with the Buffs and, of course, Northwestern, Gary Barnett back with us. Coach, is it time for spring ball yet? Is it time? Is it time? No, no, not yet. I, I need some time off between Super Bowl and spring ball. So, <laughs> uh, And, you know, when you're coaching, this is a research and development time. Right. And you just... You want your kids to get bigger and stronger and, and create your teamwork in there in the off season, And then you want your coaches to go visit or bring people in to visit about some little things that you'd like to change or look at, take a, make some decisions on. So it, to me, it was always a fun time. One, to go see other coaches in other places and see how they do things. And then uh, to bring guys in to talk about uh, what they're doing. And uh, especially if, you know, it's, it's just you get better as a coach during this period of time than any other time. And so uh, I always look forward to that. And just a little time away from everything. No, that's that's about right. A little breathing room. And want to get your take on the Super Bowl. You were right on it. Can't bet against Mahomes. And Coach Barnett, uh, I thought on, on the game, it was overtime. It was a slow burn. But, man, it finished like a freight train. Uh, your thoughts on on the game? I thought it was just a really heck of a football game, Chris. I, you know, it's it's offense, defense, and special teams. You kick three field goals over fifty-two yards, and you you know you play great defense. You you make some great plays on offense. It's it's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way the two best teams should play. It should be a game just like that, and that's what we got. And you know, fans of offense wanted more offense, and I understand that. But the game itself is is all three areas. And um, usually the team that's playing the best on defense is the team that in the end wins, ends up winning games. And, um, you know, Kansas, both teams play great. It's hard to say which one was really better on defense, except basically Kansas City made one more play with their offense. And, you know, they forced – in, in the overtime period, they forced uh, San Francisco to kick a field goal. So that was great, great defense. So it, it couldn't have been a more balanced uh, game between players, more balanced game between the concepts of what football is about. And, you know, it's just a great atmosphere. And I thought it was just a super game. And like you said, Mahomes pulls it out. I mean, he, he does with his feet. And while he's not real fast, he's just got to be mobile enough to get yourself out of trouble and to make a first down. It's about first downs. And I think that's what we lose sight of sometimes is offense is about getting first downs. Defense is about preventing first downs. It's not about 100-yard runs or 80-yard runs. It's about getting or preventing first downs because that's what ultimately wins games. Just keep moving them chains, right? I mean, it's it's yep. – what it is? Have you had much talk uh, with with Eric Bieniemy in his time, not just only with Andy Reid, but 
the Chiefs offense, I mean, they, they've – I know Eric's not there anymore, and I know uh, Hill is gone. So, they, Coach, they've, they've evolved. They've gone from we can outscore you to a little ball control last year to, okay, we're a work in progress, but we still got the best guy there is at quarterback and the best tight end there is, and, and they made plays. Just, just what – what from an identity standpoint slash uh, versatility uh, the, the vision is with this offense? Has there been any chats you've had with Eric Bieniemy about it? No, I haven't. But it's you know it's complimentary football at its best. Yeah. Uh, you lose Tyreek Hill, you lose your running back uh, uh, Edwards Alaire. You lose, uh, you know, they, when they won their first Super Bowl. I forgot who it was, but they had a couple great running backs. And so, you know, they had to sort of piece this together, and the defense had to become better. And, and you know, Spagnuolo's defense played terrific in that football game. Um, and so this, this was a classic example of being able to ad- adapt and adjust as a coach and as players uh, between Andy Reid and his staff and, and uh, what they could do on the field. Yeah, it was just uh, – it was, it was they were a different team this year than they were six years ago when they were in it. And you got to give everybody credit. They lose the enemy or they, they, the enemy moves on. How much he had to do with that, I don't know. But Tyreek Hill was a big part of the explosion on that offense. Uh, the two things they're the same are Kelsey and uh, and Mahomes and and Andy Reid and Spagnola. Those are the four cogs that really what made this team a Super Bowl team. Gary Barnett's with us. It's Hale Varsity Radio talking some football uh, this afternoon. Coach, uh, what's the right amount of mobile? And I ask that because Nebraska had to lean heavy on the option game. That's what Harburg did best. There's going to be a race for quarterback. We think it's going to be Dylan Raiola. Uh, but from a, a style and a skill set standpoint, uh, he's a thrower first, but he's not a a statue. How do you use that, or you, do you just let it happen organically uh, at at quarterback with a with a pocket guy that that is athletic? Uh, I think you let it happen organically. I don't think you force that. I don't at all. And uh, you just sort of um, you know see whether or not in the heat of battle, and and you've got to put the heat on him early, or at least in the first couple of games to see whether he can escape where he can, if uh, either one of them can make a bad situation good, you know, unless often, unless option is just part of your scheme, you're going to run it no matter what. Then you end up maybe running with some guys who maybe shouldn't be running it. But uh, I don't think you're, I don't think Matt's going to tie himself into that. He's, he's going to let it organically happen and see who the best quarterback is and then adjust um, to, uh, to that quarterback. But, you know, the right amount of mobile, is who can pick up first downs in key situations. And mobile quarterbacks become more and more, um, or if you can be mobile, in third down situations and in the red zone. Because when you run your quarterback, you gain uh, a blocker. You've got the tailback that's either being chased because he doesn't have the ball or because he's a blocker for the quarterback. And so it's a... It's a, if you've got a, especially a big guy that can run in the red zone and run on third down, it's a huge advantage for any offense. 
Gary Barnett with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Interested, was was looking at Adam Rittenberg's story at ESPN, and I want to go to the Big Ten here, Coach. Is, uh, Coach, uh, you have Tony Petiti that's taking the range. You've got the extension for the playoff with, with ESPN. But as you move forward, what would be the, the, uh, the, the balancing act, Coach Barnett, for the Big Ten where – you want meaningful games and you're going to have a bunch of helmet games, games you want to play in, you want to watch, you want to coach in, but you also have to still have some of your big dogs be able to qualify and and not run them through the ringer. Do you think the big 10 is going to be smart or, or overly aggressive with these properties they now have when, when, when we can see an Oregon, Michigan, or a Nebraska USC, or you know, pick some of the the the, the helmets that that everyone knows. Well, first of all, you got to pick the properties. Which properties are the ones, and you got to pick it right. Mm. The other thing is, there's two two parts of the season, Chris. There's there's the early part of the season, the first seven or eight weeks, where people want to see good games. They they uh, you, you know we're we're worried about the season. It's more important than the re- we, we need the record. To me, it seems like if you could put more of those helmet games in the early part, and then the second part of that season is about getting to the playoffs. So the more teams that you can have playing, not each other, but important but not critical games in the second half of that season, uh, then you get to build up and the and the ability to maybe create more teams that are playoff eligible mm. or playoff you know, ready. So if there's a way in which you can put those teams playing each other early, because, you, you know, you can survive an early loss. And uh, the fact that later on people are thinking about who's going to get in the playoffs rather than what the whole season looks like. So um, a way in which you play those really, those helmet games, as you said, early in the season, first six, seven, eight weeks, everybody's into the season. And then the last four weeks, everybody's into who's going to go to the playoffs. So, uh, and then have them have Big Ten games that maybe aren't necessarily helmet games. That's not possible with Ohio State and Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe you build in two games like that. But um, that's what I would see with it. Did, did it tick you off, or were you like bring it on the way you would end? Uh, it always seemed like it was kind of a merry-go-round with – Colorado, Oklahoma, Nebraska in a, in a triangular, and then there's or or sneak in an A and M or a Texas, and then boom, here's your here's your Big Twelve championship game. Did you like going from a Nebraska to a Big Twelve championship game, or the way it was stacked? Did it seem too too heavy had too heavy of a lift? Chris, I just like getting to that game. I just, you know what, it, it didn't make any difference at that point. You knew what you had to deal with. You dealt with it, and you either made it or you didn't. And, um, you know, we didn't worry about all that stuff. We just, you know, you just hoped you were healthy at that point. Mm-hmm. Not if you weren't healthy, you tried to make up for it with your coaching, uh, play make, you know, your play calling defensively and offensively. And you don't really have that choice anyway. If you don't take every game seriously one at a time, then you're not in that position. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, that was somebody else's issue. We just played them as they, as they unfolded and uh, didn't 
tried not to look ahead at anybody. In fact, I only would have one game on our schedule board in our meeting room. I wouldn't have any other games other than the team mm. we were playing. Gary so Bart- nobody could look ahead. No, I, I totally get it. You just look at it from afar, and you're like, wow, that's a stretch. So let's talk UCLA and Deshaun Foster, uh, Chip Kelly to okay. Ohio State. We haven't chatted about this yet, but the right move with Foster or the necessary move from a roster standpoint? Oh, I would think so. Uh, I would think with everything that's happening out there, uh, you know, and you see um, – the hiring of Deion Sanders and what it's done. Uh, and he still has to produce, but at least the excitement around him being hired. Uh, now, Deshaun Foster is not Deion Sanders, but it's um, it's close and close enough. And so it, no matter who you're going to hire, at this time of year, it's going to be a crapshoot. I saw an article, was he a safe hire? Probably a safe hire, but also, um, you know, if you'd spent some time really looking, you might still hire Deshaun Foster. So uh, we'll see. You know, you, you can never tell on these hires, but I think, you know, it checks off all the boxes. And and I think that uh, right now, with all this happening at this time of year, that that's important. With Chip, are you surprised? I mean, was this just a peace of mind move for him? Take a pay cut, go coach quarterbacks, and quit dealing with – the uh, the CEO part of uh, of coaching now uh, from a handshaking and recruiting standpoint. I, I think yeah, Chip really never did like that anyway. Chip was just a ball coach, and that's why he went in the NFL, mm-hmm. so he wouldn't have to do it. And then he ended up going to UCLA and finding a pretty good niche. But if you're a play caller, you want to be a play caller. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ryan played for him, I think, Ryan Day. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, why not get away from all that stuff? He doesn't need the money. He just wants to coach ball. And that's so hard to do now. A lot of these guys, uh, you know, like Chip's not going to have to recruit. He, he may have to recruit a quarterback every year, but he's not going to have to recruit. And these guys don't want to have to carry an I.L offers with them in their pocket when they walk in. They don't want to do that stuff. They just want to coach football. And so I'm, I'm happy for Chip. He's going to be a happier, uh, easier guy to be around than he has been for a while. More with Gary Barnett. We'll wind it down and we'll get into more of the uh, Matt Rule, Reese Davis, Pete Thamel uh, College Game Day podcast reaction here on the other side uh, from Connor's burner account, Ronnie. Checks in. in. I think so. Uh, Ronnie asks why Connor doesn't speak in this program very much. You do. There's just certain spots you. I pick and choose my moments. We'll have more Connor tomorrow, probably, and more Connor next segment, just because of of how heavy basketball is tomorrow, and we'll we'll all have uh, some some reaction to what Matt Rule has to say uh, with Reese Davis. Plenty to get into with expectations for Dylan Raiola from Coach Rule. He was asked that question and uh, also uh, the the rebuild portion here. So a little bit more from Gary Barnett, though. Loved his take, and this kind of goes in with uh, Adam Rittenberg's story on the college football playoff management. As commissioner, your job is to manage your conference's exposure, get as much dollars as you can, but also don't Piranicize your own league 
because of a brutal stretch. That That's a juggling act to make sure you have Michigan-Ohio State at the end of the season that the world wants to watch. Alabama-Auburn is a reality, but you can't, can't cut your knees off. Mm-hmm. So I loved what Barney said about schedule some of those big dog games early, and uh, you can survive a loss like that mm-hmm. if you do fall. More with Coach Barnett. Thoughts from Rule and Reese Davis. Up next to Tail Varsity, we're powered by Cornhead Lager. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Gary Barnett, Coach, we'll get you out on this. Thanks for the time today. But uh, to Nebraska, what do, you, what do you like about Nebraska's window of opportunity here for, for a second year? And I ask this because you've got and you lead the Big Ten in returning production, okay? You have your quarterback options. It's not often a five-star talent finds their way to a team that's not been to a bowl since 2016. And you kept Tony White. So is is it important for this second year to to be a bit of a breakthrough with, with all that you have? Because you may not have a Tony White next year. I don't think you think about it very much. I think you just go to work and uh, you you fix what needs to be fixed, um, and that's what you concentrate on. You don't look at that great big picture at this point in time. You just you want to find a way. Right now, you want to win enough games to get to a bowl game, uh, and and that's what you're after right now. You just whatever it takes day to day as you look at it. What do you have to do to get there? And then if you get beyond that, so be it. But at this, you don't try to take four steps in one year. Sure. You try to take one step, and then you try to take another one. And and I think that's that's what best serves uh, coaches at this point in time. Any golf this weekend? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, how much are we? Are you doing a couple rounds? I mean, that that uh, arrest total, trespassing, and the fact that beer sales were shut off at the waste management. Uh, left the the golf world shuddering, Coach. Oh well, I, I didn't go down there, so that's not my problem. But uh, <laughs> well, I don't know how many, how many days you're talking about on the weekend. You're talking about yeah, two, fr- three? Fr- yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Are you running three in a row? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's not hard. It's golf. You know, it's not football. You don't chase anything. Nobody hits you. So no, it's probably get three days in. Are you gonna do a around. Are you gonna do a shirtless snow angel in the sand? No, no, <laughs> no. You don't want to see that, <laughs> sir. We need you to leave. Okay, coach. You have a good weekend. Enjoy the golf, and thanks for a few minutes today. All right, Chris. Great being with you. Thanks. Good stuff from Coach Barty. Appreciate his thoughts. Uh, some topics we got into and uh, talked a little bit about that window of opportunity. It's a lot. A lot of Nebraska fans. Uh, Minds. You also have uh, the, uh, the the quarterback question. More on this Reese Davis podcast as uh, he caught up with Coach Rule that dropped today. Him and Pete Thamel, the college football college game day podcast. We had a little teaser for you uh, in hour one about improvement from Nebraska from year one to year two. I think this will serve Coach Rule well in the new NIL era, and guys uh, will jump back into this pod an excerpt here on what rule took from the nfl to nebraska well i think very simply just the uh you know 
football to me usually comes down to player acquisition, <laughs> player development, uh, player retention, which used to in, in, in football just mean scholarship. Now it means NIL and all those things. I think I got sort of a crash course in it uh, in my time in the NFL. Um, so, I, you know, as you're sitting there and, and, and young people have the ability to kind of really now, now with multiple transfers hit, hit free agency every year, um, I, I just feel like I have a better perspective on it. You know, I'm not emotional about it. Like, you know, there'd be, you know, there, you know, there'd be a player who's, you know, going to free agency with us or unhappy with their contract. And I can let them, you know, deal with the GM, whether it was Marty Herney or Scott Fitterer and <clears throat> just say, Hey, whenever you get back, I'm ready to coach you in football again. And, and, you know, probably didn't have that ability before I went through that. So I think that that's really helped me. And, um, you know, as I kind of said to you at the time, like, you know, my, my time in the NFL was so unique in that it was COVID. You know, you're a college coach. They don't really know who you are. That's COVID. Mm-hmm. You never really got a chance to build relationships. And really in my last year, I felt like um, I tried to, you know, make up for lost time and tried to tried to really connect with some guys and, and, and feel like I did and still have a lot of those connections. And so as I came back here, I wanted to do the same thing. And, you know, we get to the end of the season and three guys that have probably draftable grades decide to come back and play another year. No one really goes into the portal. Um, looking to cash in. Um, I think I think it started with, you know, just really spending time with everybody and instead of just doing stuff, explaining what I'm doing and just, you know, taking time to be pretty intentional. So pretty much uh, a, a good uh, blueprint there of Matt Rule, fellas. And do you feel like that is a, a real, a real uh, difference for Nebraska where, and I know Damon said this to us, uh, last Friday, uh, where guys just don't want to leave. They, they like their teammates. They like their coaches. They like the, the direction of the program. That's all well and good. But above all, it's, 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 it's authentic. Well, it, it kind of seems to be Matt Rule's specialty. It's well, reality. Well, it, it's especially it's reality. and It's what makes him so well-positioned for the modern era of college football and that, yeah, you do have to go re-recruit your roster every single year and make sure those guys don't leave. But the simplest way to do that, instead of doing it with words, and as we kind of talked about, empty NIL promises, my strategy for NCAA football 25, the empty NIL promises, the empty winning promises. It's not about that. It's about creating a team in an environment that guys don't want to leave because you can go look around the country, but at the end of the day, Nebraska is going to be the best place for you to, to advance your career on the football field, off the football field, about building that environment that as opposed to, uh, you know what, every single year a new money offer comes in and you're going to the place that's the highest bidder, you, you create a place here that we might, we might, not, might not be the highest bidder every single year, but we'll take care of you and we'll uh, make sure that you understand that this is going to be the best place for you to advance your career, whether it be in football or something else. Do you want to get paid or do you want to play football? Exactly. To both. Yeah, both. <laughs> yeah. But what's going to get me prepared to get paid at the next level? Eventually, that question Mm -hmm. needs to be answered. Uh, We'll skip down here with uh, Matt Rule, and he was asked, what makes you such a great rebuilder? They highlighted Temple. They highlighted Baylor. Why take on a blue blood like Nebraska? First of all, I appreciate you saying that. Second of all, I hope I live up to that here. Um, (laughs) You know, I will say this. I think I loved Temple because I had been there as an assistant coach for six years. So Mm -hmm. I had this deep, you know, belief in Temple and what we could do there. Um, As you said, I'm the son of a minister and a football coach. So going to Baylor and – to me, rebuilding Baylor was if we just got it back to its its stated purpose. Like, there's nothing worse than a Christian university that you almost kind of like look at like sarcastically, you know, because of what's happening there. So, you know, the football was the bonus there. But I was, as you said, kind of felt called and on sort of a mission to be there. You know, to me, I, I love college football, and I I'm the, historically love college football. So to come to Nebraska and um, you know help Nebraska retain its rightful place in football. 
makes total sense. Um, in terms of, you know, why I think I'm able to do it, I think it's because um, I really don't mind. Uh, uh, I don't like, but I don't I, I, I'm willing to do what it takes to win in the long run. Um, and that's probably hurt me a lot in the NFL because I probably wasn't enough. Hey, let's win right now. I was probably like, Hey, let's build this for four or five years and didn't end up getting that time. But you know, I went, when I went to temple, when I went to Baylor, it was about, Hey, let's, let's pay the price now for success down, down the line. And, um, you know, even, even Reese at, at, at Baylor, when sometimes when things would come up and, you know, we'd be in a meeting talking and, you know, people would talk about the optics. And I would always say like, let's let, Let's let history write our story. Let, like, let's not worry what people are writing right now about what we're doing. Let's let's worry about ten years from now what people write about what we're doing. So, if we're going to do something that's controversial that people don't like, but we think it's the right thing, let's do that. And I, I think if you take that over to football, um, I try to do the right thing. I try to do what's going to be in the best interest of the long term vision for what we're trying to build. And if that means we have to start out two and ten, or you know, unfortunately, this year we were five and three. We finished five and seven. It doesn't mean I enjoy those things. It just means I know right now we are so much further ahead than where we were last year. And anytime a coach calls me that gets a new job, I always tell him, don't worry about winning the first year. Worry about building something you can be proud of, building a foundation, and then the winning will come. And so I think that that is probably what, what that confidence that, hey, it'll work out in the long run is probably what's allowed me to do it at the college level. And, um, uh, the, the only other thing I'll say is I think because I truly believe that I and my staff really care about these young people. Like, even if I have to dismiss them from the team, I always tell them like, there's nothing you can do that will make me not care about you. Now there's a standard here you have to live up to. And I, I think when you do that and you go through hard times and the players see you not changing and they see you not turn their, a lot of times in their lives, people have changed on them and turned their back on them. I think we get real buy-in on a, on a personal level that allows us to, uh, you know, take some huge, huge steps. Real buy-in, real key for Nebraska. Guys, that, that foundation, uh, as he put it, not worried about winning in year one, that's nice. <laughs> You'd love to have a winner out of the gate, but then that's the bar, that's the standard. Do you exceed that? You can become your own worst enemy there. But the, the topic of sustainability, that's really what you crave if you're a Nebraska fan. Be good, be relevant, be in marquee games, win more than you lose, look good doing it, look physical, look like an air quote Nebraska team, but be able to do it year in and year out. Know what you're going to get on a high level. That's what's been missing uh, for a while. And you heard from him right here uh, with the uh, Reese Davis and Pete Thamel College Game Day podcast about you know the, the big picture outlook. I don't think people really realize how important what Matt Rule just said because – that's like kind of a, a personal thing that he just said about a lot of his players is like you, they probably had people switch up on them at some point in their life, whether that's family, whether that's teammates, whether that's coaches, recruiting, whatever. So the fact that Matt Rule is able to stand in there and even when he's got to look a player in the face and say, hey, we can't have you here anymore because you're not doing X, Y, or Z or because you did X, Y, and Z – the fact that he's still going to treat you the same as if you were his QB1 says a lot about him as a coach and him as a person. And that goes a long way because you throw however many guys on a football roster, you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know where their backgrounds are. They're all over the place, maybe even internationally at some points. So the fact that you're able to be their head coach, almost kind of be like a, I don't want to say a father figure, but you know that trusted authority figure that they're playing under 
that's not going to change on you. I think that goes a really long way, and that's all outside the lines. It's all outside of X's and O's, but it plays a huge role in success when you're trying to rebuild a program like this. Well, really fast, just to kind of piggyback on that, if, if you could pick one word that describes the first year and change of Matt Rule's tenure at Nebraska, I think the, the first word that comes to mind for me is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And it's been a buzzword that we hit. It's a word that Damon hit last week whenever we hit him on the show. It's it's a, a, sh- a word that has been hit by players up in press conferences, by, by members of the coaching staff. That's the, the first word that comes to mind. I think what has Matt Rule brought to Nebraska through the first 15 months on the job? Authenticity, I think, is right at the top of that list. He's real. Right. And to be honest, if you're a guy that is going to try and go play for him for four or five years and you can trust him off the field, not even with football stuff, just life and being real and being authentic and and not BSing me, well, maybe he knows what he's doing for football. (laughs) Right? Just the normal day to day. And and does does an, an authentic culture, authenticity lead to wins? No, but is it a step in the right direction? Yes. It, guess it what? certainly helps. It leads to kids staying here that you can develop. Which might be the most important thing to lead to Which wins leads to wins. College football. Thoughts on Riola. Thoughts on Nebraska and uh, where they're at in this rebuild.